If you want to talk about the heritage of our cattle industry here in North America, well, then let's talk about Florida. We've had cattle in Florida for over 500 years. Jim Handley, Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association, is my guest today as we'll discuss what the Florida cattle industry looks like today, how they've evolved to meet the demands of the market in the last 20 years, as well as the political issues that affect them. But we want it based on scientific fact, research, and those, the facts carry the day. And that's that's how we arrive at our positions on public policy. And of course, we're going to have to talk about how they deal with those destructive hurricanes. We're going to ranch in the paradise of Florida. We're going to deal with hurricanes. If you thought you knew everything about the Florida cattle industry, stay tuned. You might be surprised on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. everyone and we welcome you here again this is the working ranch radio show and i'm justin mills glad to have you joining us here on our program today i hope everyone is getting along well in their fall work it's uh i tell you we've had actually some pretty unbelievable nice weather up in the northeast part of wyoming that has allowed us to get quite a bit of work done getting the water line in we're going to be weaning calves this next week and uh, we got our heifers preg checked a couple weeks ago so i tell you we are getting things things done and that always got has to make you feel good we're going to be talking about weather as course as we always do in the latter part of our program is meteorologist don day will be joining us giving us an idea of what we're going to be looking at for the next 10 uh, 7 to 10 days out there but on today's show if you heard there in the intro we're going to have jim handley who's the executive director excuse me the executive vice president of the florida cattlemen's association will be joining us as uh, as we're going to get caught up with him Finally, we've been working on it ever since Hurricane Ian, and I really didn't want to be a nuisance to him because I knew there were way bigger fish to fry, so to speak, in terms of just trying to get caught up with me. But it was good to catch up with Jim, not only to talk about, uh, we're going to spend some time talking about how they deal with, with just getting through a hurricane. Of course, for other parts of the country, it might be tornadoes it might be a winter storm various things but down in florida that's something uh, that they have dealt with on several different occasions we're going to talk about that but also we're really going to get into just the the look of the cattle industry there in florida the type and the kind and how things have evolved and changed in the last several years uh, for the cattle industry down there he's been uh, he's a fifth generation rancher himself and so we're going to get a lot of information from that standpoint also what are some of the political issues that they're focused on for the Florida Cattlemen's Association. So just a lot of information as we focus today on the Florida cattle industry. And uh, I think it's going to be something, some information in there that I know this might be a long ways geographically from where you're sitting at here today. But uh, you got to realize that no matter what part of the country we all sit in, when we call ourselves ranchers then in some shape way or form we're all sort of family and we need to know kind of what is going on in the other guy's world and i think today's will give you a pretty good glimpse of what goes on in the florida cattle industry so i'm excited to have our program here today jim handley florida cattlemen's association will be our guest right now thank you to our sponsors of the working ranch radio show biozyme it is weaning time so for protection and recovery think vita charge by biozyme for more information visit vitafirm.com forward slash vita dash 
charge. And Zoetis, visit InheritProgress.com to request a call with a rep and ask about free TSUs to get you started. Speaking of Zoetis, it is the little things that can derail progress, but your herd can be covered. To find out how you can get less parasites, well, just go to the website at GetLessParasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. Also, the American Cemental Association, and you know, there have been some fundamental changes that the American Cemental Association has brought to the tables to help ranchers move their operations forward from pedigree knowledge with actual performance records to now some very advanced genomics. And in fact, that was a subject we talked about last week was on genomics. Is And all of that is to provide more predictability to the producers so that you can make management decisions that increase profitability to the rancher. Sim Genetics, profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. And Zenpro Avela 4. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zenpro Avela 4. Right now, it is time to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne. He is the publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. Just getting back from a little vacation time. Here's this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Every time I get my advance copy of the next issue of Working Ranch Magazine, I'm like that old TV show sheriff, Roscoe P. Coltrane. I'm on, I just I turn to the contents page to figure out what's going on in the magazine. And uh, boy, I tell you, we got a good one here. The November-December issue, page 60, Goodbye Livestock, Hello Bison by Bert Rutherford. We talked about this a couple of weeks back, Justin. The Bureau of Land Management's decision to displace cattle in favor of bison raises concerns. Read up on that, folks. Page 68, P-Bar Ranch, how one Montana outfit put regenerative practices at the top of its makeover list by Katie Hutton. Page 76. This is a good one. Audit? Got it. If you're making a profit on cows, and I hope the heck you are, and before the IRS starts circling the ranch like vultures, consider this advice. All right. Now, this is by guest columnist who are um, uh, accountants, Paul Berlich and Aya Kanda. And then we have a special treat, a poem by Waddy Mitchell called Dash. If you say your truck's a ranch truck, See if it will pass this quiz. If you had it at least two years, check how full the dashboard is. Now you can imagine what's on the dashboard of my truck. And Rancher's Journal, Lazy TV Ranch. And this is an outfit. This is by Jana Thorstenson. An outfit. This is where Dad says 40 hours a week is just a part-time job. And the crew keeps her laughing. So check it out. That's here in the next issue of Working Ranch Magazine in your mailbox pretty darn quick back to you justin i know you got a heck of a show all right thanks captain and yeah folks i'll tell you it's pretty simple to get a subscription started so you get that next issue that november issue coming out in your mailbox if you go to the website at workingranchmag.com you can get started here today well coming up next we're going to be talking about the florida cattle industry jim hanley executive vice president of the florida cattlemen's association joins us as we talk about the details of that industry there and also in light of the recent events of hurricane ian we're going to talk about it all and you might be surprised and what you hear when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fatirity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So, the proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Every little thing is important to cattle producers, from daily chores to parasite control. Just like protection is important to us. Based on approved labels, Valbison Suspension covers 25% more parasites and life stages than Safeguard. Visit GetLessParasites.com for more solutions from Zoetis. Consult your veterinarian for assistance in the diagnosis, treatment, and control of parasitism. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We thank you for joining us as we head now into our featured interview. And uh, joining us today is Mr. Jim Handley. He's the Executive Vice President for the Florida Cattlemen's Association. And Jim, we want to thank you for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Good day, Justin. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you reaching out and your interest in learning more about Florida and, and our industry and our history and in our current event. You bet. I know it's been kind of a booger for you. Uh, we've been kind of playing phone tag or email tag for the last couple of weeks. So I appreciate you taking the time because I know infrastructure wise down there, and we're going to talk more about that here in a little bit, uh, has been a little bit hairy in light of the results of Hurricane Ian. We'll talk about that in a bit. But first of all, uh, Jim, you know, I, it's it's interesting. There is a lot of history to our cattle industry in the whole North American continent that really kind of centers and comes through Florida if you really were to look back on the history of the of the cattle industry in our country and so let's just kind of back things up first and let's talk about the cattle industry in Florida yeah Justin uh, not everybody realizes that obviously uh, you you do and folks within the industry uh, understand it but we've had cattle in Florida for over 500 years um, and 1521 cattle came um, and the Spanish brought them and uh, obviously left them, and uh, our, our Native Americans tended to them. And, uh, and, and so we've continued to have a, a strong and thriving uh, industry here for, uh, again, over 500 years. It's fairly significant. Um, we maintain a cow herd uh, of about 920, 930,000 brood cows, a total beef cattle population, you know, all ages, just like 1.6 to 1.7 million. Uh, cattle uh, utilize uh, five and a half to six million acres here in the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the makeup uh, of our, we are primarily cow-calf. Um, there's, there's very, we have what, an abundance of forage, uh, but it's not very high quality. And we certainly are a grain deficit state. And down here in this hot, humid climate where we get 50 to 60 inches of rain a year, it's not real easy to feed cattle. And, of course, we don't have uh, processing facilities to, 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 to really speak of. Mm-hmm. There certainly are a few uh, cull cow um, facilities. But, uh, but so, so we, we ship approximately 
725,000 feeder calves out of Florida on an annual basis. Mm. And then you, if you want to throw in the dairy side, there's like 115,000 milk and dairy cows in the state. Um, our ranches, uh, primarily ranch on, on private land, uh, family owned operations. There is a limited amount of public land that is grazed through a variety of agencies, certainly nothing uh, like you guys in the, in the West. Um, uh, there is one military uh, installation that's a the Air Force bombing range that has uh, uh, some grazing leases on it. There's some water management districts that have conservation lands, and they have some grazing leases. Um, there's a few cattle in one national forest, uh, but uh, and a few cattle on some wildlife management areas. But by and large, the majority are on private lands here in the state. Hmm. And the cattle are right down the the ridge of the state, right down through the heart of it. Obviously, okay. if you look at our state, there's I-95 on the east coast, and I-75 enters the state in the center, and then it bears over to the west coast. And most of the cattle and the higher populated cattle counties are within I-95 on the east coast and I-95 on the west coast. And most of them, the top 15 cattle counties are... Uh, primarily north of Lake Okeechobee. Okay. When you get way south, that's more farming, yeah. crops, sugar cane, uh, citrus. Mm-hmm. You bet. Um, Jim, let, let's talk about the, the type of cattle, because uh, with you being uh, more in that southern climate, I'm sure there's that type of cattle, the more than some of the boss indigas you'd see. But it, but I wouldn't say it's primarily that, because I know you also have you know, the boss taurus, the more English-type breed or continental breed, crossbreed cattle as well. So let's talk about that makeup that you see within that industry. That's right. And those original cattle we were talking about are, are, are the Spanish uh, uh, Andalusian-type cattle. Uh, there's not very many of them. They certainly maintain that breed, uh, and there's a few producers that maintain them, but certainly that's not uh, a very big portion of the commercial industry. Our our cattle uh, really need uh, some Brahmin influence mm-hmm. to maintain themselves in this climate. We need a cow with a lot of capacity and a lot of ability to consume a lot of forage because the quality of our forage, while there's a, a lot of it, uh, the, you know, it's not very nutrient dense. So you can count on the majority of the cattle will have an eighth to a quarter of Brahmin influence. And, uh, of course, we do utilize um, some continental cattle and, and some English, uh, some British breeds and create a pretty darn good feeder calf. Primarily, our cattle go to Texas, Oklahoma, okay. Kansas. Some will go into ne- Nebraska to be fed um but texas oklahoma kansas is is probably certainly the top three that receive our our feeder cattle our industry uh we have a lot of uh, large herds that these families have, have held things together and uh, quite a few cattle are or we've, we've got uh, seven livestock markets that are a real important part of our of our industry and then uh, quite a few cattle are also sold private treaty more are taking advantage of internet sales mm-hmm. and uh, and marketing that way. Majority of our cattle move starting really the week after July 4th. Okay. And we should be wrapping up the big movement certainly by early November. 
that's that's when we get them out of here, and we we're a little bit ahead of some of you guys, you know, that are in the mountains or in the in the way west, and that that kind of our cattle fit a little bit different marketing window, and 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 they need to because we're a long ways away from the the majority of the infrastructure, if you will. It's like eighteen hundred miles to to say Amarillo, Texas, and so mm-hmm. we're filling the pipeline a little bit ahead of a few folks in the west. Yeah. Jim, certainly since the cattle first entered that state, as as we talked about a little bit ago, um, but if we were to move that up a little bit in the last 20, 30 years, what have you seen changes in, in the type and kind of cattle in Florida? Dramatic improvement. I'm a fifth generation Floridian. I grew up right in the heart of, of the, the big cow counties and uh, uh, been engaged with the industry all my life and there's dramatic improvement uh genetic selection uh, our cattle um years ago had had a reputation of being kind of hard to handle and a little bit fractious at times and probably not the best grading cattle but our cattle will stand up uh we've really dramatically improved it and we we we're not a very big state as far as uh, uh, a seed stock mm-hmm. from the standpoint of a lot there's not a not a real big number of seed stock producers down here and and i will attribute some of that to the fact that that we don't grow a lot of feed and we don't have access to a lot of high quality feed and forage and so our people rely on a lot of breeders from all over the country putting cattle in here and uh we can do a good job raising them uh a mama cow raising replacement heifers and we buy a tremendous number of bulls of all breeds from shoot tech we get some montana bulls in here we get uh certainly uh uh, nebraska kansas a lot out of the southeast states north of us there was a sale here yesterday with cattle from tennessee Mm -hmm. um but uh to answer your your question uh, we've seen a dramatic improvement our cattle will stand up and and convert and grade when you get the, the hide off of them I, I dare say um, people are quite pleased with how mm-hmm. how many cattle will will grade choice. You bet. A, m- a moment ago, you talked about some of the ranches that are quite large there and families that have been able to keep things together and keep it going. I think that was a surprise. Is something that I didn't realize is you actually have some pretty pretty large ranches in Florida. We we do uh, certainly. Um, if you look at at some of the lists that are created about uh, cow-calf operations, typically every year in uh, in that work that uh, CattleFacts, as an example, puts together. And again, that's folks voluntarily participating in that. But uh, typically, there'll be 10 to 12 of the top 25 in cow numbers, not in not in acreage. Yeah, we can yeah. we can stock pretty densely. The average in the state is like six and a half acres per cow-calf unit. Mm-hmm. Of some, some you can, you know, you may have two and a half acres per mama cow. In some places, we may have 20 acres per, per brood cow. But the statewide average is right at six and a half to seven acres. If you looked at the list, uh, certainly the Deseret mm-hmm. cattle and citrus is the single biggest one. They have a very large cow herd. And then I can rattle off some others. Yeah. We have a, a Native American tribe, the Seminole tribe, who has a large number of cattle. Uh, and then a, then a multitude of different families. We have a range cattle experiment station 
that's a uh, part of our land grant system from the University of Florida. And I've had those professors say, yeah, there's more 500 head cow herds in 150 miles of that, of this unit than anywhere in the country. Cause hmm. They're just pretty dense, big, big operations. Yeah. Um, and, and because of their size and their investment, they've had to improve their cattle. Yeah. They had to be, had to create better cattle to chase premiums. And that's, you know, there's certainly a, has been incentive for people to improve their cattle. You bet. Yeah. Chasing more economic return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But but just like just just like other parts of the country, everybody diversifies and has a, a variety of of different crops that they may grow to spread their risk and to you know spread their cash flow. Yeah. So depending on where you are in the state, if you're way up north in the Panhandle, there's more traditional crops grown up there: peanuts, uh, cotton, soybeans. You come on south, and and you know there's temp combination of timber guys with cattle. You keep coming on, and 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 they're you know because we have such a growing population and development. There's a lot of turf grass grown on on ranches, uh, and then there's certainly citrus and cattle grown on places. And then the further south you come, there's there's produce. There's a tremendous number of of watermelon farmers down here, or acreage of watermelons and citrus. And so those combinations are real common on our ranches. The exact makeup of the crop depends on where you are. We've got some that are big winter vegetable growers mm-hmm. that would grow a lot of, you know, uh, green beans, carrots, celery, mm-hmm. uh, lettuce. Uh, there's a one section or two in the state that grow a lot of potatoes. So it's quite diverse as yeah. a state uh, from the standpoint of agriculture. But the, the oldest that we're proud of is the cattle industry. And we continue to maintain a pretty strong footprint, uh, again, with 1.6 million beef cattle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think the diversity just in, of the agricultural industry as a whole is is quite unique to uh, probably a lot of other states. Maybe the only one that could sort of match that would be California, and you guys are very unique in that. Jim Hanley, Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association, is my guest today. We're going to continue with him, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how they're recouping after Hurricane Ian that took place a couple, three weeks ago and how that's coming along when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's weaning time, one of the biggest days of the year for you and the most stressful for your calves. Ensure a smooth transition with the VitaCharge Weaning Program. This two-step program with the AmaFirm Advantage gives calves the nutritional boost they need to get through the first weeks of weaning, accelerate appetite, increase weight gain, and improve health. It's weaning time. Get them ready with VitaCharge. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Our focus here today, we're talking about the Florida cattle industry and none other than Jim Hanley, who's the Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association, is joining us here on our program today. And uh, Jim, just a moment ago as we were talking off air, uh, you were talking about uh, coming up in April of this next year will be 25 years for you. So first of all, congratulations to that. But as we, it was kind of leading and segueing into our next conversation that we're going to 
going to have. And that is about how are things going now with uh, after Hurricane Ian? And you said this is that was number about number 14 for you. So uh, but uh, n- nevertheless, I know it kind of was in for you and I to kind of get hooked up and get this interview done. Uh, we were dealing with a lot of that. So how are you guys doing and, and getting by with uh, after Hurricane Ian? Well, we're digging out, uh, Justin. Um, uh, we have a resilient, tough set of people, just like in your country and all over the all over the country. Um, a lot of high quality, good, conservative, hardworking people. We took a pretty good shot uh, with this storm that hit us and uh, suffered a tremendous amount of flooding and a lot of high winds. I looked at the footprint of the storm's path and. I think it represents right at 42% of our mama cow herd hmm. that, that, that the track of the storm went through 11, 12 counties. And then we started suffering flooding up in the St. John's River area. And those poor guys are underwater as well as a result of the rain that came from the storm. They didn't get a lot of uh, wind damage, but they certainly got flooding. But hmm. uh, we're working our way through it, trying to help our ranchers. We've had tremendous outpouring of love and generosity and support and contributions to our Florida Cattlemen's Foundation. That's what we're channeling our relief effort through. And uh, we've set up some supply yards and uh, we're receiving uh, product from a, a number of outstanding uh, feed companies and post and wire companies and primarily trying to help people hold their cattle together. Uh, because they've had such high water and they're still standing water. I was loading some posts and fueling a guy up uh, uh, this morning, um, one of our ranchers, and I said, is it is it going down? He said, it stopped rising, and he <laughs> said, maybe an inch a day. Oh. And then he drew a line across himself, and it was about four foot high. And so he's got cattle kind of trapped on high islands, and they're hauling hay mm. and range cubes and, and things to them. But we're we're digging out. It's been so wet, it's hard to get in and patch fence. And when we suffer these storms, there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of trees down on fences. And as long as the the trees still have their leaves, old cows are kind of bluffed and won't find all the holes and crawl <laughs> out. But uh, as it starts drying out and they're moving, looking for a little bit better nutrition, they will find the holes. And that's when we'll have to elevate our fence crews, volunteers that are coming from unhit counties to move in with ranching families that have been hit and to help them run chainsaws and front end loaders and stretch wire and patch fence. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, our experience uh, has us fairly well prepared in thinking through uh, how to bring our state and our economy back to life. Mm -hmm. But in the ranching side, you know, you've got uh, living creatures and once we know all our people are okay uh, then we start focusing on our livestock and uh, they need to eat every day and need good fresh drinking water and so that's where the focus turns to and then you start putting your infrastructure back on the ranches I mean hay barns equipment sheds shops you know every mineral feeder every uh, set of cow pens that had you know working shade roofs over them they pretty much gone and 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 you would know justin Mm -hmm. ranchers accumulate that over time you build the you know a new shop this year and two years from now a new horse barn or something but over over the lifetime of a family's multi-generation ranch you know in one afternoon 
poof, it's gone. And so it makes everything you do more difficult and you have to rebuild your infrastructure. So it's eating an elephant one bite at a time, but there's been some smiles on some faces of these people. We've been mobilized with a crew of volunteers, aside from myself and a couple of other employees of the association. It's volunteers from unheard areas helping folks in these areas. We've got a livestock market at Arcadia Stockyard, and they've helped, allowed us to utilize their parking lot as a, as a supply station. And we've got volunteers here running forklifts and We've got semi-loads of feed parked here, and we're doling it out. Semi-loads of, of posts and wire and staples, and we're, we're doling it out to folks. We purchased a tanker load of, of fuel, and half of the load's diesel and half the load's gasoline so people can keep their vehicles running on the ranch and, and, and their generators running if they're operating on you know generator power. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing anything we can to, to help people. If they're involved in livestock business and they pull in here, we don't ask for any qualifications. You need help. Yes, sir. Uh, We're here to help you. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we're gaining on it. The week of the storm, four of our livestock markets made the decision, and and we thought it was a wise decision, to to not run. Therefore, uh, quite a few of the order buyers sat it out that week because we don't want, you know, cattle out of market or in transition, in transit, trucks having trouble getting here with all this flooding we had a large number of roads closed and so just accessing places is difficult so those markets uh, with the exception of one day uh, all ran this week and we're getting back to a a bit of normalcy and we're back open for business Mm -hmm. if you will with the movement of livestock my friends in other commodities they've suffered a big hit as well the citrus industry the early crop you know, would they, they'd start picking those things in another 30 or 40 days, and uh, they shook off the tree. I, I've heard from 80% fruit loss to, to, to as 80 to 90% drop, what we refer to as drop, to to uh, up to maybe the lowest herd areas, 20, 25%. So there goes their crop. We still, in most cases, have an animal to sell. We have suffered the loss of some some cattle, and until it dries out and you can ascertain the, the, the exact damage, we don't know how many, you know, animals we've lost. Mm-hmm. We weren't in the heart of cabin season. There's not a lot of baby calves on the ground this time of year, which is a, a positive. But uh, I know we have suffered the loss of some, some animals. You bet. In moments ago, your moment ago, you talked about uh, the sale barns, some of them shutting down for just a period of time, now kind of getting back online again. You were also talking in the first segment about the the major time of, of moving cattle out of that out of Florida on uh, some of the the new crop calves out of out of Florida would be from July through November. So we're kind of dead center into that. How is that going to affect these guys with that hitting in the middle of that? Are you going to? You said you were back online with some of these sale barns, but is there going to be any major effect with the typical normal movement that happens? Well, certainly uh, they have to shift things around and. When these cattle are under stress condition, um, certainly they want to get them out of here. So I talked to a, a big order buyer this morning, and and he's he's right down here where I'm at. I know he said he's got 15 or 20 loads expected to to start shipping the middle of next week, and they're going they're all systems go. But the you know the cattle have been stressed a bit, so we're certainly going to see some shrink. If the water hangs around here, you're going to uh, 
the mosquitoes will get bad, and so that puts stress on the cattle. Um, we've, we've maintained some very hardy, tough cattle from a genetic standpoint, and uh, they'll, they'll be okay, but we do need to get them out of here just to get them off the cows uh, so those cows can mend up. We're, you know, we don't have a winter like you folks, but it, when the nights cool off, our, our grass quits growing, and we typically typically supplement for about 120 days through the winter just to maintain body condition and get our cows bred. Mm-hmm. So we've been experiencing a very good uh, shipping season with, with everybody telling me their way-ups had been really good above last year. There was a lot of optimism, and there still is long-term a lot of optimism, but when you stress your cows and stress your forages – with standing water on it and all, then you start worrying about, I've got to maintain body condition to keep these, get these, these cows bred and to uh, have strength in them when they calf. So they'll milk strong and breed back. And, you know, it's hard to measure long-term effects because, you know, with our production cycle, mm-hmm. um, we hope we have a mild winter and we hope we have a nice early green up with moisture in the spring and uh, we'll get through it. Mm-hmm. Jim Hanley, Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association, is my guest today. Uh, we're, we were just talking here about how they've recuperating after Hurricane Ian. By the way, uh, they are handling a lot of those donations through the Florida Cattlemen's Foundation. They're needing things like posts, barbed wire, staples, hay, range cubes, you know, chainsaw, fuel, and oil, those kinds of things as they as they clean up. If you want to find out more about that, you can go to the Florida Cattlemen's Association's website and find out more about that. We have one more segment. Uh, Jim is going to come back from one more segment when we get into that we're going to be talking about some of the issues that they're focused on uh, at the florida cattlemen's association and also some of the relevance to that from the national standpoint for ranchers all across the country we're going to get into those when we come back here on the working ranch radio show Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As our featured interview here today is with Mr. Jim Hanley. He's the Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association. And we're talking about that industry in that southeastern part of the country. And earlier on, we were talking about the heritage that it supplies to our entire beef industry here in North America as a whole. As cattle were introduced into that part of the country years and years ago. And uh, in the last segment, we were talking about their cleanup efforts and how thing how it's the hurricanes have affected their industry jim i want to get now into current topics just a little bit and let's talk about some of the issues that you all specifically maybe uh, with the florida cattlemen's association are working on that uh, that uh, are more on the political side of things and some of the things that you all handle at the cattlemen's association uh in terms of uh, issues that affect the the beef industry there in florida so what are just a couple of those items well, Justin, uh, we're not dramatically different other than we don't have quite as many of the uh, public land issues that I think you guys, uh, a lot of folks have in the West. But um, we're certainly focused on the forthcoming uh, development of the farm bill. Um, uh, transportation is a huge issue for us. Uh, 
we we are uh, in favor of pursuing a continuous waiver for livestock haulers uh, on the hours of service. We all know that it's important to get our cattle loaded and moved and gone as rapidly as possible to wherever their destination is. It limits the, for their care and well-being. We need to get them gone and moved and, and stopping and our, our drivers and shutting them down for extended periods of time isn't, isn't necessarily good for us. Uh, certainly not for the, the well-being of the cattle and the, and, and so that is real important to us. Something we've been focused on. Of course, all the tax issues that, that, that we all want to, uh, be careful that we're not overburdened with uh, unnecessary tax. We definitely don't want to see a change. Or, or, or anything that's going to modify the estate tax or the, everybody's, you know, they have land and their assets is uh, their land, but they're, they don't have a tremendous, you know, it's a low margin business. And so, uh, basically anything that affects the economics in the industry, uh, we want to be involved in. And we, we are an affiliate organization of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and we work quite closely with them. We have a large, obviously with our 22 million people, we have a large delegation in Washington of uh, members. Uh, I think this year after the reapportionment, there's going to be 29 votes that we would have uh, with our with our two senators and 27 members of the House. And uh, so we're constantly engaged with them on everything from the Endangered Species Act to to adequate funding to the USDA. Uh, certainly, one thing that we've worked on because we're we feel as though we're real vulnerable as a state is uh, animal disease management, and we've been participating in a pilot project on individual animal ID and electronic ID from the standpoint of being able to track cattle movement should a disease outbreak occur we ship so much out of state uh and we have uh, like 17 ports and a tremendous amount of uh traffic from all over the world coming to this state we're vulnerable to you know outside uh potential problems and that being the case if we can manage a disease and quarantine a, a small area that wouldn't shut down our entire industry and we think a tool to do so would be uh individual animal identification strictly for animal disease prevention and management. So that's something we've been a part of uh, in, in learning the technology. We said, well, this is on the horizon. We want to make it as friendly as possible uh, to our industry that makes the most economic sense and that the cattle movement would be not impeded. Uh, and we want everything to operate at the speed of commerce. We don't want to give away any more information than possible. Certainly, we want to maintain people's confidentiality. Um, but from a disease management standpoint, we think individual animal ID is is really important and, and, and needs to happen. Um, when you talk about the Farm Bill, there's so many elements to it, but the conservation title is real important to us here in Florida with the growth and the development um, there's a variety. There's some state and federal conservation easement programs that some of our private landowners have uh, participated in and see it as a tool to keep their ranches uh, operational for the next generation. And not all of it is being developed. So we would focus a fair amount on programs through the USDA NRCS. And then, of course, some of the risk management programs mm -hmm. are real important through the Farm Service Agency. And the forage insurance program is real important. 
on the nutrition side, we, we want to make sure that we don't lose any ground as far as beef is concerned, um, as being, you know, given a fair shake in the food guide pyramid and those kind of things. But I, I would say my friend, Jim McGagna at the uh, Wyoming stock <laughs> yeah. growers, you happen to be in Wyoming, yeah. Justin, yeah. uh, he and I will sit at a meeting and, and we'll share notes and, uh, pretty much the things he's worried about are the things uh, we're worried about. In y'all's case, it might be grizzly bears and wolves. In our case, it's uh, it's the Florida Panthers yeah. uh, from a, you know, from a predation standpoint, or it's a vulture problem down here, mm-hmm. those kind of things. But uh, if it's going to affect the economics of your ranch, it probably is going to affect ours. Yeah. And so we're trying to maintain a business climate in which you might find profitability certainly don't want to be overburdened with regulation. We've real concerned about the waters of the U.S. and the jurisdiction that might be granted to uh, the federal EPA. Uh, In our case, that's pretty much most of the acreage in Florida if they change the definition. And now that does is encumber how we manage our property. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Jim, what what I find interesting with that, and and I guess in my mind when I when I first voiced that question, I was thinking, oh, you know, there's probably going to be something real dynamic or unique to the Florida cattlemen that they're really focused on. And as you went through that list, and I wrote that list down, everything starting with the farm bill to transportation, estate tax, endangered species, funding at the USDA, animal disease, conservation easements, waters of the U.S. You know what? As you were saying, you said at a meeting, and you could sit down with. Uh, 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 Jim McGagney with the Wyoming Stock Growers Association, and you guys could almost just be lockstep as far as the issues. That to me says a lot because I think it really, there's elements within our industry that have really created some divisions within cattlemen. But at the end of the day, there really are a lot more uniform issues that we all need to be on rather than some of these things that are bringing uh, division within our industry. I would agree, and we're not all going to agree on every – you're going to cheer for your ball team today, and I'm going to cheer for mine. We're not going to all agree on every single matter, but we have enough in common and enough needs to defend our industry and to attempt – by no means do I guarantee you're going to be – everybody's going to be profitable to attempt a business – to keep to maintain a business climate in which you might find profitability – um, certainly there are some controversial issues and, and all, but we believe in the science. We, we want the facts and base everything on facts, not on emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we look at every issue and does it benefit everybody? You know, I was thinking about it and there's been years when we've signed on letters regarding brucellosis and the park out there, yeah. you know, and the bison herd, because we know if I can help our friends, you, our friends in the West on an issue, they'll turn around and help us on an issue that's close at hand down here. So a lot of smart people volunteer and give of their time to our state and national associations. And we ask them to, okay, every time we come forward with a position on a policy, is it based on factual information? Does it benefit everyone? And is it good for the collective whole of the industry and the environment? And that's how we base our decisions. Certainly there's some emotional things and you'll have somebody individually affected by something. Uh, but, but we want it based on scientific fact research and those, the facts carry the day. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how we arrive at our positions on public policy. Mm-hmm. 
Jim, my final question here today, uh, you've got a governor there in the state of Florida that would be fairly recognized across the country. My question, Governor Ron DeSantos, how has he been to work with for you all as the Florida Cattlemen's Association and his view on the beef industry? I would say it's all positive. Uh, Governor DeSantis has it certainly didn't come from an agriculture background, uh, and he's never pretended such. He certainly doesn't know our industry that well, but we've spent a lot of time and effort to introduce him to our industry and to help him understand, he and his people, understand our footprint and our heritage and the economic benefit and the environmental benefit that ranching has on the state and he certainly is uh, is understanding he's a pro-business guy he's a he's a, a fellow that doesn't want uh, government to encumber people and uh, he, he wants it to to make logical sense but he recognizes that uh, there's a lot of wisdom and a, and a lot of outstanding business thinkers within the agriculture certainly within the within the ranching community and uh, he's he's been uh, good to work for he's he's not come up with different ideas that that hurt us and i can say nothing but positive things Mm -hmm. well jim i want to thank you for taking the time to join us here today i know you're busy as you were saying just early this morning you were helping uh some folks load supplies out in in some of the cleanup of hurricane ian so i appreciate you taking the time to do that and just some final comments from you well, we just thank uh, everyone for thinking about us and keeping us in their uh, thoughts and prayers. There's been tremendous outpouring of support and generosity. Folks have made contributions of of supplies, equipment, cash. They've made contributions uh, to our foundation, and we're turning every dime into assistance to livestock owners and families that are that are in need. And uh, uh, we'll do our best to reciprocate when uh, when you guys get in a bind over some catastrophe. We don't have the corner on the market. It was just our turn, and uh, I, I said it uh, in an interview, I think, last week, and not making light of it, but but a, a snowstorm is the problem for you guys <laughs> to, to ranch in beautiful mountain country, and uh, if we're going to ranch in the paradise of Florida, we're going to deal with hurricanes, and and this is a tough industry with a lot of good people, the best people in the world make a living with a cow. And uh, we'll get through this as we have in the past. But we thank you all for your thoughts and prayers, generosity, kindness. And we look forward to seeing you in the days ahead. The biggest favor anybody in the listenership could do is uh, consume one of the best protein in the world and uh, enjoy our product. You bet. Well, Jim, again, thanks for joining us. Jim Hanley, Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association, our guest here today. By the way, as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you want to help them out down there with some of the hurricane relief, you can go to the Florida Cattlemen's Association. They are doing all of that work through their Florida Cattlemen's Foundation, and you can give them a call. You can go to their website. There's information there that you can help them out. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, meteorologist Don Day steps in as we take a look at that long-range weather forecast. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. How do you decide which heifers to select or sell? Visual inspection alone leaves a lot to chance. Back your hunch with Inherit Select from Zoetis. 
It's a genetic test designed for commercial replacement heifers. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy-to-use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding, and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills, as we're joined now by meteorologist Don Day with a look at our weather. And uh, Don, when you look at the western half of the country in this coming week, it's going to be kind of slow till we get into the weekend. But the eastern half, if you look east of the Missouri River, looks like they've kind of got winter coming on. Yeah, I tell you, there's going to be some significant cold for that part of the nation here over the next seven to 10 days. Uh, Could even be looking at approaching some record cold in some areas of the upper Midwest, lower Midwest with a shot of Canadian air. And not only is it just a shot of Canadian air, but it's an area of persistent colder temperatures that will be found really from about the Missouri-Mississippi River basins to the east. This will be especially true in the Great Lakes, Corn Belt. The Corn Belt will see some freezing temperatures, and some of the first snowflakes of the season will grace parts of the northern Great Lakes, even far northern, higher elevations of the northeastern United States as well. So while cold is going to be locked up on that side of the nation, it's high pressure that'll be dominating in the West. Mm -hmm. You have referred to what is setting this up has a lot to do with the water temperatures off of up, up in off the coast of Alaska. And that's warmer as compared to a 30 year average. And that warmer waters there is kind of creating these weather patterns that we've seen. Yeah. They're helping to induce a, a really strong jet stream across the North Pacific. Now we usually do see this, uh, as we get deeper into the fall, where that jet stream gets busier, gets stronger and more active. But there is a big difference in air, uh, sea surface temperature from the equator up to the higher latitudes. So warmer than average in those higher latitudes, colder than average down near the equator. So there's a lot of gradient going on. And those gradients uh, really help drive changing weather patterns. So what we're seeing evolving here this week and next week and the next couple of weeks as we head towards November is a strengthening, more energetic jet stream, which means more dips, mm-hmm. more dalliances from those higher latitudes to those lower latitudes. And that's what folks in the Midwest are going to see this weekend and next week is going to be some shots of that colder Canadian air. As you start to see air masses move more vertically, uh, more um up and down north and south across latitudes and that can bring those big changes in the weather so for the coming week we're seeing the western part of the country fairly mild weather the eastern part of the country a little bit uh, more wintry weather the northeastern part of the country what about the southern plains and let's even scoot back into arizona and new mexico a little bit i know they've been on a little bit different weather pattern than maybe the southern plains of texas and oklahoma and kansas but let's let's focus on that area for just a bit and what we what you anticipate to see the next seven to 10 days? Well, interestingly enough, there's been a a lot more rain falling in parts of Arizona, especially New Mexico and parts of West Texas uh, from little low pressure systems that have been basically cut off. We call them cut off lows that have been spinning around Northwest New Mexico and parts of the desert Southwest. And they've got another one of those. So there is going to be a little more rain down there. Uh, So if there's one part of the West Uh, Southwest United States, Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas, more showers and thunderstorms. Some of that will get into parts of Western and Southwest Oklahoma, but the other part of the Southern Plains, uh, 
into the Delta area, they're kind of missing uh, the precipitation. And while they will feel the effects of the colder weather, there won't be a lot of moisture with it. The better moisture will be into the areas that will be more to the north and east. All right. Well, Don, I appreciate you joining us. We've talked about in the previous shows, we're going to be having an upcoming show where we give a long range forecast of the winter weather. Looks like in a couple of weeks, we're planning to get that done. Yes, sir. We'll be all ready to go. I'm sharpening my pencil and I'll be ready. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for joining us here today and giving us a weather outlook for the next seven to 10 days. Talk to you soon. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather today. By the way, his website can be found at dayweather.com. And that's also a link where you can find his daily video podcast that he kicks out every Monday through Friday morning as well. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, we'll put a wrap on this week's show and some final thoughts when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Well, as we head back to the barn on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, don't forget coming up in a couple weeks, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us for the entire show as we take a real long-term look of the weather out into the spring and summer of 2023. Also, some other programs we're working on, and that is a series on low-stress cattle handling with Steve Cody. Also have been in talks with Whit Hibbert on that as well. That's some shows that I know folks have enjoyed in the past, so stay tuned and tune back in for some of those shows coming up here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, if you heard something here today you have a question about or you'd like to get a hold of me about a topic you'd like us to cover, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Also, if you heard something today you want to go back and listen to or also listen to any previous shows, our podcast site is workingranchradio.com. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. Be sure to join us next week at this same time same place. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. Long.